Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we come to you acknowledging that you are the Lord. You are the God above all gods. You're the Lord above all lords. You're the God of heaven. And you made all things, including us. So we come to you longing to know you more, Lord. Longing to understand the gospel and the way that you've made for us to know you and to experience your goodness and your nearness and your grace and to dwell with us. And God, we just pray that in this moment, in this hour, that you would give us everything that we need. Feed us with the bread of heaven. Feed us with the words of life that you are and that you give. Father God, I pray for our daily bread. I pray that you'd continue to provide all of our needs. And I just pray that this day that you'd be with Prashant right now, uh, with his tremendous amount of pain that he's in, with his tooth that's bugging him. Lord, I just pray for him that that recovery would go quickly and that they'd figure out how to fix it um, sooner than August. Lord, uh, I pray for uh, Pastor Kerry and the other ministers that are in APC conference right now, Lord, that have arrived in Kenya but who do not have any luggage. Lord, that's a tough place to be without your luggage. Lord, I just pray that you'd help it to arrive to them sooner or that they would have their needs met some other way so that they can travel throughout Kenya and do this ministry that they've been called to do. And I pray that you'd bless their run that they're on and bless their ministry there, Lord. I also pray for the Davises, Lord. I pray for Allison especially, Lord. Just such a difficult time right now unbelievable suffering that she's in and that her family is in and they're all heartbroken about the situation and I just pray that you'd give them comfort and peace and joy and health and strength as they need it and as they see fit as they need it during their day from your spirit Lord and God I pray for uh, Pastor Huey Moak I don't know him Lord but he was a influential and uh, God-fearing man who served you for many years, and as he's nearing his last days, I pray that you would just uh, encourage him, help him to pass into the next life exactly with as much grace and as much joy and as much love as you've allowed him to serve with, and I pray for Brother Kerry, as that was his pastor, that he'd be able to see him again, Lord willing, and uh, Father, lastly, I just pray for the Pritchards. I pray that as they prepare to move, that um, they would be filled with thanksgiving and that we would all be filled with thanksgiving for the service that they've been to us, for the uh, joy and friendship and fellowship that they've been to each of us, and that their move and that their time in Louisville would be blessed and that it would be fruitful and that you would be in it all and that it wouldn't be just uh, vain effort, but that it would be something that would bear much fruit for the kingdom, God. And Lord, I just praise you and I thank you again for the gospel that you've given us, for Jesus Christ coming to die for our sins, to offer us an opportunity to be saved, an opportunity to walk with you and to know you, Lord.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the text this morning, this evening, is Psalm 136. So please turn there in your Bibles. Psalm 136, and you're probably going, why are you preaching from a psalm? So unfortunately, uh, as of as some of you might know, Prashant is not able to preach this evening because he's got a very bad dental problem that I just prayed for. So we need to please be keeping him in prayer this week and uh, just constant and touch base with them and see what you can maybe do to help uh, their family out. But yeah, because of this last minute change, um, we don't want to get all out of order with our Exodus series because everyone's already starting to prepare their sermons and whatever. So. <laughs> Instead, what we're going to do is I'm going to preach from Psalm 36 this evening, and uh, that'll be interesting, actually, because this psalm has a lot of connection to Exodus. It's a very Exodus-themed psalm, so it doesn't really, it's not like completely outside of our Exodus series. We're just going to put it right alongside there as a way to look at the rest of Scripture and how the Exodus theme and the Exodus story fits in the rest of the Bible, as we've already been seeing so much. And so quite a few psalms actually are out there that are very connected to Exodus. And since we're going through this, I'd recommend that you write these down, maybe. I usually don't recommend writing stuff down, but this case, write things down. Uh, write uh, Psalm 77, 78, 80, 81, 105 and 106, 135 and 136. All of those are very Exodus-themed psalms. So you can go and read those, and that will actually contribute to a better understanding and more enjoyment of our series in Exodus. So if you have a chance to go and read those, that'll be a blessing for you, I'm sure. So before we get into reading the text, I want to talk a little bit about the context. So within the Psalter, we talked about the Psalter a lot more last year, but within the Psalter, there's five books, large sections that make up the Psalter. So this psalm is about in the middle of the fifth book. And so this is near the end. It's basically showing us the fact that it is only because of God's steadfast love, because of his faithfulness to Israel, that they've made it this far as a nation, and that they have a hope and a future because of this. Because God is steadfast, because he is faithful, because he has been faithful to his covenant and his promises, that they can actually have a hope and a future, and that they can look back at the past and say, wow, look what God has done. And in light of that, the psalm calls us to thankfulness. The thanksgiving psalm is what it would be called, classified as. And so interestingly, another little uh, historical context aspect is this song was sung in Israel as all the psalms were. These are not just written poems, but they're songs that they would sing in worship. And likely this particular one, the first line would be sung by a worship leader, and then the second line would be sung by the congregation. So a very interesting way that they would do that in order to involve the whole body and the whole congregation. If you feel like reading along, the second line with me, you're, you're welcome to. Uh, but I just thought of that now, since it makes sense, <laughs> since that's what they did. But if you feel like it, go ahead. If you don't, don't feel any pressure. But let us read the word of the Lord. This is Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give to him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, 
for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever. And he rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. The reading of God's word. In August sometime, later this year, uh, Prashant, if things keep going according to schedule, Lord willing, will be preaching on a critical passage in the Bible, namely Exodus 34, verses 1 to 9. Um, this passage is uh, going to, or this sermon that Prashant's going to preach on this later passage is going to go into more detail on on this passage. It's going to go into a much more important exposition of this passage that I'm about to talk about now. But in terms of understanding this psalm that we're dealing with, it's very important that we understand this, uh, this section of Exodus, this, this moment here when uh, it's actually in the midst of when all of the sin and the disobedience of the Israelites has reached a real breaking point, and God reveals his character to the Israelites as Moses is interceding on their behalf. And then they come to understand that if they are to go forward as a nation, if they're going to be able to continue onward, then it's only going to be because God is gracious. It's only going to be because he's filled with steadfast love. So let me read a little section of that portion that we'll be preaching on later. And it will show you how, you'll see immediately, I think, how it connects to this psalm. Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses. That is with him, but it's Moses there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. 
So here, the character of God is very beautifully put on display for us in a way that's very unique, actually. There's not that many passages that so fully and richly describe the character of God to us. And we see here that our God is a God who's merciful. He's a God who's gracious. He's a God who's patient. He's overflowing with love and faithfulness and that he's actually willing to forgive sins. It's an amazing thing to think about that our God is one who's willing to forgive sins even though he's so holy and perfect. Now it does say that he will not clear the guilty. That's going to become more important as we go through our passage. But he is a God who's just so full of steadfast love and he defines himself that way. He's talking and he says, I'm a God, I'm merciful and gracious, I'm slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. His character, his nature, the very way that he is, is defined here for us. So this connects us to the psalm, and I think you hopefully have seen that. The thing that's on repeat throughout the psalm that's so repetitive is this statement. His mercy or his steadfast love endures forever or his covenant love endures forever. And so this links us back to the Exodus passage. So the psalm and the Exodus passage are connected. Some translations here would say mercy. Some say steadfast love. Uh, If you didn't notice this, if you were sitting in this room and I was reading that passage and you did not notice the repetition then you were not listening at all. (laughs) The ultimate lack of listening test right there. This is the most repetitive psalm that there is. And 26 times over, it says this constant theme about God's steadfast love and about his mercy. So this is repeated over and over. So the psalm is all about, on one hand, it's all about God's covenant steadfast love. And so in light of this theme of mercy and God's steadfast love, The psalmist actually also calls us to thanksgiving. Like I told you, this is also a psalm of thanksgiving. So these two aspects work together. So the first three verses of the psalm are what we would call a call to thanksgiving. So the beginning of the psalm is introduced with this call to thanksgiving. Let's quickly read those three verses together. Give thanks to the Lord. It's a commandment. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his steadfast love endures forever. So this aspect of giving thanks is so clear. And that's one of the things the psalm is introducing. It's telling us, give thanks. That's what this psalm is going to be about. And then at the very end, in verse 26, it also wraps up with a closing about thanksgiving. It says, give thanks to the God of heaven. It's a command. Again, like I said, a commandment to give thanks to the God of heaven For his steadfast love endures forever. You see there. So this is definitely a psalm about God's covenant love and his faithfulness. And it's also a psalm about thanksgiving. So we see and we can say that this song is all about being thankful for God's steadfast love. Being thankful for God's mercy. Elsewhere in the scriptures, we learn that Christians, this is in Colossians 2 verse 7, Christians ought to, because of the steadfast love that's displayed in Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us in the gospel, it describes Christians there as being people who are overflowing with gratitude or abounding with thanksgiving. It's such vivid language of how a Christian ought to be. A Christian ought to be somebody who's thankful because of the steadfast love of God. So this evening, I want to call each of us to give thanks 
to the merciful God. Give thanks to the merciful God. And as we move forward now, looking at how we ought to give thanks to the merciful God, let's look at the end of the psalm. And the psalm uh, actually, in a very unique, interesting way, gives us almost a summary, a perfect outline for a sermon. Verses 23 to 25, look there. This is an outline. This is at the end of everything that the psalmist has been saying. And the psalmist comes and he gives these three verses that basically encapsulate everything that came above in the prior verses. So let's read that. Verse 23, it says, It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever. Rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. The first thing we want to look at, based off of verse 23 there, is that we should give thanks to the merciful God because it is he who remembered us in our low estate. He remembered us in our low estate. Verse 23, it is he who remembered us in our low estate. Okay, so the first thing we have to look at is that aspect. Now that is actually something we have to ask ourselves. Okay, well, what was the low estate that the psalmist is talking about? What was the low estate that they were stuck in, that Israel was in. Ultimately, one of the examples of the lowest estate that the Israelites were in, which is in this psalm, was their time in Egypt, was their time under slavery and bondage and captivity there. It says, so many times we've heard this throughout the Exodus series, right? It says all the time, God was, God was dealing with the people, and the people were in slavery, and then it said God remembered, right? Remembered his covenant with them. God remembered the covenant that he made with them while they were in that low estate, and he went and he helped them. And so that's what this is based off, this verse 23. It says, he remembered us in our low estate. So let's read all about Israel's low estate, and let's look at verses 10 to 16. That's their state in Egypt, in their low estate. Verse 10. Give thanks to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. For his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them. For his steadfast love endures forever with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. For his steadfast love endures forever to him who divided the Red Sea in two. For his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his steadfast love endures forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. This, this is, again, this is a summary statement of basically traveling with the Israelites all through their time here in Exodus. It's a summary of the book we're studying right now. There's these key points throughout Exodus that bring out how God helped these people in their low estate how he remembered them when they were in their low estate. And so it really can't be overstated how important the Exodus story was to the identity of Israel, how important it was. Even hundreds of years later here in this psalm, it's saying it's this content of their Exodus story. It's such an important aspect. The person is again repeating it here as an identity marker of what was so crucial to them as a people. It makes all these references. It talks about the firstborn. It talks about the bringing of them out of Israel. It talks about God's strong hand, his outstretched arm, dividing the sea, 
Israel passing through the sea, all things we've heard about already. It talks about Pharaoh and his armies, and it talks about God's guidance in the wilderness. But what we need to realize, if this is still recurring here in this psalm, way after this event has taken place, we know then that this is, again, like we've said so many times, a pointer to something outside of itself. The story of, of the Exodus, the story of the people of Israel in their lowest state that's covered here in these verses is pointing us to something farther down the road. It's, it's pointing us to actually an even greater predicament that they were in, an even worse low estate that they were in, and that we actually are in too. Remember that verse that I read at the beginning about Moses uh, talking about, or God talking to Moses and saying that he can by no means clear the guilty? He says he can by no means clear the guilty. So we know that we, you and I, as well as Israel, are in that same estate. We cannot have our guilt removed. We're, in a, we're stuck. They were in slavery physical. We're in slavery in a low estate where we can't have our guilt removed before God on our own strength, on our own goodness. And that puts us in the same horrible predicament as every single fallen person ever has been in. Every single person since Adam till now. This problem can't be solved on our own. It can't be solved without God's help. So God the Father, our gracious, merciful, steadfast, loving God, sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. And the same exact deliverance, the same exact message that the Exodus story that's repeated here about their low estate, the same thing that that was pointing towards is the same thing we look to now. We look to Jesus Christ on the cross He's the one who solved this big predicament. He's the one who sees us in our lowly estate. God was kind enough to remember his covenant with his chosen people while we were in a lowly estate, while we were dead in sin, while we had, no, we had nowhere to turn, we had nowhere to find help, nowhere to find peace, nowhere to go to be cleansed of our guilt. We had nothing we could do on our own. But Jesus came and God, in that whole procedure, in that whole process, remembered his covenant. And what covenant am I talking about? I'm talking about the fact that before the beginning of all history, before the foundation of the earth, before any of the Bible was written, before any of the Exodus took place, he had already remembered his eternal covenant with each and every one of us in this room. If we're in Christ, Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit made an eternal covenant to save some. And that covenant, when you come to Christ in the year 2023, tonight, or in the year 2024, or in 1994, or whatever year you came to Christ in, that moment is the moment when God remembered the covenant he made with you. And he saw you in your lowly estate. And he saved you into his kingdom. How can this not produce so much thanksgiving and joy in our life? How can this not produce overflowing, abundant thanksgiving in us? Especially in light of how low and how helpless and undeserving we are as people. So God has decided to make his character known. He's decided to show his mercy and his steadfast love to sinners like us in a very, very low estate. He's made a way to set the guilty free 
and he's put our guilt on Jesus Christ. He's made us to carry righteousness when Jesus Christ carried our guilt. And he's made a way to solve this problem at the beginning of the sermon that God can by no means clear the guilty. But in Jesus Christ, in remembering his covenant, in being faithful and in making this eternal salvific decision to save us, we have hope. We have hope in Jesus because of that. So we've seen that we must give thanks to the merciful God because he's remembered us in our lowly condition, in our low estate. And now we must see that we must give thanks to the merciful God because he's rescued us from our foes. He's rescued us from all of our foes. Look at verse 24. Second aspect of this kind of built-in outline, it says, God, that is talking about God, rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. To see this, let's look at verses 17 to 22 together. Give thanks to him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel his servant. For his steadfast love endures forever. So this topic about God conquering our enemies and giving us victory over our enemies has been covered many times actually already in our Exodus series. We talked about God conquered Pharaoh. God conquered the Egyptians. God conquered the Amalekites. God is in the business of conquering the enemies of his people. He's done this many times so far. Here the psalmist, these are not all ones in Exodus, but... Here the psalmist recounts, and what he does is he sings about the wonderful victories that God has granted to his people. That section that we just read was a list of all the wonderful kings and victories that God has conquered over the course of Israel's history. He mentions great and mighty kings. He mentions Sion and the Amorites. He mentions Og of Bashan, all of these historical figures that were conquered in the history of Israel. And after that, he, um, he basically, yeah, he lists this big historical uh, to, um, examples of what people can literally think back on. Yes, I heard about that. I, I was told about that story. I can look back on these wonderful examples of God's faithfulness to us when he delivered us from our enemies. Now, for Israel, they were a tiny country. Sometimes we overestimate what they really were. They were a tiny little country in the Middle East, and they had a had been preserved throughout the generations and they were surrounded by all kinds of vicious enemies. They were surrounded by all kinds of people who hated them. And for them to look back on these victories, this list of of, uh, examples of their faithful God working and conquering their enemies, for them to look back on this history is actually a great encouragement for them. It's a great encouragement and it shows them that God has been faithful and that he will continue to be faithful to them. Now, the reality is that since the fall, the people of God have constantly been actually at war and being attacked on all sides by all kinds of enemies, by their foes. So It's very important that we have a delivering God. It's very important that we have a God who can rescue us from our enemies. 
So since the very beginning when the fall took place, we know that immediately, immediately after the fall takes place, Cain attacks his brother Abel and kills him. Right? This is a, this is a reality of the fallen world. There's the godly and the ungodly, and they're at war, and they always have been. And until Jesus Christ comes back again, they always will be. And Jesus promises us that in the Word. But basically, those of you who, those of you like me, who've been walking with Christ for a little while, maybe some of you haven't been walking with Christ for a very long time, either way, you probably have come to realize that there's this war taking place. When you come to Christ, when you're made new, when you actually are regenerated and you receive new life and you want to please God and you want to do what His Word says, all of a sudden you realize there's this battle going on. You have enemies. You have this burden that you're carrying with you, which is your sinful nature. Now, in the past, maybe previously you could sin and maybe you would not feel the burden that much. Maybe you could sin and you wouldn't really feel this tension and this war within yourself. But now that you're in Christ, what actually happens is now you grieve over your sin and you hate the fact that your flesh leads you into sin and you are very consciously aware constantly as a Christian that you're in a battle. You're in an important eternal battle over your soul and over your life. Previously, you could just go with the flow a lot of the time. That's what my life was characterized by a lot when I was younger. I would just go with the flow, whether it was peer pressure or social pressure of any kind. Uh, we can tend to just go with the flow. If we're not in Christ and we don't have this war going on, then what is the force that's going to take us? We're just going to get sucked in and be going with the flow of greed, of materialism, of lust, of whatever it is that the world is selling us as being worthwhile. That's going to be what we're going to go with. We're going to run according to just running with the stream, just the way that people always go. And not only these things like uh, greed and materialism and lust and stuff like that come in war against us and pull and give us tension in our Christian life, but also people, actual people. You know, you might be at a workplace with people who aren't Christian. They might literally oppose you and, and cause you a lot of harm and hardship in life. There's people throughout the world be, being martyred to this day uh, all the time for their faith. And this is something that people um, are, are going to face if they come in, into a relationship with God, with Christ. Sometimes the weird thing is sometimes it's even people the closest to you that are opposing you. Sometimes your enemies, people who are going against you um, and trying to undermine your faith are the people closest to you. Sometimes it's family members. Sometimes it's friends, people that used to be considered like close. Now because of what you've decided to do, because you've followed Christ, because you've put your trust in him and you put your life in his, in his hands, all of a sudden they are upset and they're opposing you and they're going against that. Now the reality is, like Pastor Thomas has been saying, I think this morning as well, you were on the enemy's side. If you're in Christ today, you were on the enemy's side. You were on Satan's side, and you did not feel the war going on every day because um, it, just wasn't, it, it just wasn't sensed by you because you were running with him. You're going with the grain in that sense. But now that you have new life, now you realize you're in a fight. You're in a real fight. You have real enemies that you have to deal with. And it is a great blessing, and it's a great cause of thanksgiving for us. It should really cause us to thank God, like the psalm is calling us to thank Him and to be thankful. The fact that we as Christians, when we realize our weakness, our sinfulness, and our guilt, realize that we have a holy God that can actually fight for us, that can actually, has made a way for us, and that has made 
a route that we can follow. The fact that we have a God like that. I know it's in the midst of our sin and our weakness and our shortcoming. It's true that when we come to him, man, we see what he's like and we see what we're like. And we think, man, we're in a real predicament. But it's truly wonderful to know that in light of the fact that God has made a way from our lowly estate, like I mentioned earlier, he's saved us. He's cleansed us. It's wonderful to know that not only that, but he also helps us in our battle going forward, in our resisting the enemy, in our pushing forward into the world. Like the Israelites here had to fight. They had to leave the um, land of Egypt and then they had to fight against Og, of king of Bashan. They had to fight against the Amorites. They had to fight on this journey. In the same way, we as Christians are faced with a fight. And it's a sincere, it's a real fight. And the world would like you, the People on TV, the people on the news, whoever else doesn't believe in God would like you to believe that this fight's not real. Would like you to believe that the things you're feeling in the inside of your soul, the things that are causing you so much distress in this battle you're in, are not real. But the word here shows us that God's people have always had enemies fighting against them, resisting them, have always had enemies that go against God's will and against his word and against his plan. And so we should not be surprised about it. And we should know and be prepared for it and enter into it with an awareness that that's what we have to face. And so this week, when you find yourself in this fight, when you find yourself in this tension, when you find yourself having to resist the enemies of your faith, doesn't matter what those enemies are, they're different actually for each of us to some degree. When the way that you must do battle is to look to Jesus Christ. Look to the one who's delivered you from that lowly estate. Look to the one who's said so powerfully in his word that he's a God of steadfast love and that his love endures forever. Give thanks to him and remember that he's rescued you from your foes. It's a promise. He rescues his people from their foes and he'll let you go. He'll let you, he'll set you free in the midst of this battle. Just as our psalm says to us, this evening. So now we've seen that we must give thanks to the merciful God because one, he remembered us in our low estate and two, he rescued us from our foes. Now lastly, we should see that we must give thanks to the merciful God because he gives food to all flesh. He gives food to all flesh. Look at verse 25. It says, he gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. You might be thinking, that's kind of an interesting one. <laughs> he gives food to all flesh. Is that one a reason to give thanks to the merciful God? It is indeed. So this statement about God giving food to all flesh should really be thought of as a bit of a, a summary statement. It's, it's got a lot deeper and richer and broader meaning than just a matter of food. Just the fact that God gives food to all the creatures. This actually has to do with God's common grace, or it has to do with God's general revelation. Now, what those words mean, they're just theological words that have to do with the aspect of God's goodness and the grace that he shows to all of mankind. The goodness and the grace that he shows to all of mankind or to all of creation in uh, distinction from the goodness and the grace that he shows to his elect people, to his chosen ones, the ones who, like I mentioned earlier, were chosen in that eternal covenant that I spoke of before. This is God's common grace. The fact that he gives food to all flesh refers to his common grace. 
This is actually very similar to in Matthew 5, verse 45. Food to all flesh really reminds me of Matthew 5, 45, where it says, He makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. It's God's common grace. It's God's uh, favor and his kindness that he gives to all people. In other words, the, way, the reason this is so important is because after the fall, because of sin, because of the fact that sin, do you remember the condemnation that Adam was told would happen if he sinned? He would surely die. So the result of sinning is death. And so God would have been totally just if he had just wiped out the entire earth of all mankind and all creation. He would have been totally just if he did that. If he had no plans to go any further than Eden and he just planned to just wipe everything off and he had no plans of redemption after that, he would have been just in doing that. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But the amazing thing is he is so patient. Remember that verse? He's so patient. He has so much steadfast love, so much kindness, and he's so full of mercy and grace that what he does is he suspends this judgment. He suspends this full and final judgment and he's even patient and kind to unbelievers for the time being. He even gives food to them. He even takes care of them. He even, in a certain sense, shows them a certain degree of what he is like. When you look outside at the trees, when you feel your heartbeat, when you look at the mountains, even if you don't know Christ, you can still see and know something of who the true God is in that. You can still see in this general revelation, this uh, kindness that God shows to all people and the food that he provides, you can still see that he's a good God. You can still see that he is patient. And this is a good thing, because if it wasn't for general, uh, for common grace, if it wasn't for this kindness that God gives, we as all a bunch of sinners, as people who are in that lowly estate that I mentioned earlier, we would never have the opportunity to come to Christ. We would never have that because we're born into that state of common grace, born into the world as people who do not yet know Jesus Christ. And if God wasn't patient with us, the minute we were born, we're gone. But no, he's patient with us. He shows us common grace to give us time, to give an opportunity for him to reveal in the face of Jesus Christ the light of Jesus to us, to shine with the grace and the goodness of God to us in the face of Jesus Christ through the message of the gospel that's proclaimed with lips into our ears that allows us to hear that truth and be transformed. Another way you could say this is give thanks to the merciful God because of his work in creation, you could almost say. I know I used he gives food to all flesh, but you could think of it as his works in creation, his kindness to his created order. So let's read about this in verses 4 through 9. This general goodness, this beauty in creation, this wonderful revelation that he gives that's not yet able to save, but that is still amazing. This general goodness. Look at verse 4. Give thanks to him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
the moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. So here it says that God, by his understanding, made the heavens, that he spread out the earth above the waters, that he made the great lights, that he set the sun to rule over the day, and he made the moon and the stars to rule over the night. And it's hard to understand. It's interesting to think about what does this have to do with steadfast love? And I've already kind of hinted at it. I mention it now. There's a question there. What does this have to do with steadfast love? Because it seems so distant from us. The, the stars and the moon, the sky and the earth and everything like that that God has made. But it's true that in this, God still reveals an element of his steadfast love that endures forever. Remember this. Last time I preached, I talked about the tabernacle. Talked about the fact that in that little tent that they had in Israel, there was a, this, it was a pointer to, it was a pointer outside of that tent to the whole universe, the whole entire solar system that we're in, the whole entire world, all the people that live in it. That's what it pointed to. It pointed to this cosmic or this universal tabernacle that God has built. The tabernacle itself, that tent, could not possibly contain the eternal God who created the heavens and the sun and the moon and everything like that. But in his universe, it's the big tabernacle. It's the ultimate uh, realization or the reason for Exodus's tabernacle. It's the reason that all of that was pointing to. And it points us to this. The reason why God shows his common grace to us. The reason why he's patient with us. The reason why he allows the earth to go on and he continues to give food to all flesh is because he's so kind because he wants a relationship with his image bearers within his temple that he's built. He wants to actually dwell with his people in that temple, in that tent that he built. He wants to make a road or a path or a means by which that can take place, which could not take place if he did not have common grace and wiped us all out. If he eliminated the earth the minute that Adam sinned, he suspended that so that he could dwell with mankind again, so that he could restore everything, so that he could renew everything, so that he could make everything beautiful as it ought to be, instead of twisted, instead of broken in this lowly estate, instead of distorted and broken and full of pain and hardship and suffering. He wants to create a new world, a new universe, a new, all by working right now in this in this universe, in this world, in this situation that we're in. So we know that creation alone, apart from God's word, apart from this scripture, apart from these words that are revealed to us, is not enough to save. It's not enough to do that. It's really only enough to condemn. But in this tabernacle, in this creation, God has made an opportunity he has given in this section when he talks about the heaven and the sun and the moon and the stars, he's given an opportunity and a place where mankind will be allowed to live with him, be able to have communion with him, with, be able to have fullness of relationship with him. And so in conclusion, it's ultimately because of God's word that he has revealed to us through the apostles, through the, the prophets like Moses, who we read at the start when I was reading from Exodus, through the psalmist who wrote this Psalm 136 for us. It's ultimately through those moments, through the prophets and apostles, through Moses, through uh, people like the psalmist and all the other writers of Scripture. It's in those moments and it's in that reality that we have the opportunity 
to be saved. And what I've covered so far, if God were just a God of power, if he was just a God of power in creation, if he was just a God who was strong enough to slay our enemies, if he was just a God who was able to make war and he was able to destroy Og or destroy the Amorites, if he was just that and he was as holy as he is, that would not be a cause for thanksgiving. That wouldn't actually cause us to be really that happy at all. It wouldn't cause us to be joyful the way that this psalm is calling us to be filled with thanksgiving. In fact, it would just fill you with, with complete terror all the time. If that's all that God was like. We are all sinners and we are all at one point God's enemies. We are all counted as enemies before God until we come to Jesus Christ. But thankfully, because God is like we read in, in Exodus 34, because he has this character, because he says that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. For that reason, who God is, who God is revealed here to us as a steadfast God, as a loving God, for that reason, because he's made a way for us to have our guilt removed in Jesus Christ, because of that, we can actually be thankful. Right? We can actually thank God for his mercy. We can give thanks to God and we can worship him for his mercy. So ultimately, because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf, in remembering us in our lowest state, in his defeating of our enemies and in his revealing of himself to us in the world, instead of only being filled with fear, we can say with the psalmist, we can say something that we would not have previously been able to say. We can say with him what it says in verse 1. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. We wouldn't have been able to say that if we could not come to him by his grace and his goodness. Because we would have been, we would have been condemned. We would not have been able to find grace. Because of that, we can and we must live our lives overflowing, overflowing abundantly, running over the edges with gratitude for God because of his mercy and because of his grace. Let's pray. Dear God, Father, we thank you so, so much that we as sinners, people who are totally undeserving to draw near to you, can see you as kind and good and draw near to you, still revere you, still respect you, we still praise you for all of your wonderful power and glory but there's now a way made for us by the grace of Jesus Christ that we can draw near to you that we can come close to you and enjoy your presence enjoy your fellowship and one day enjoy an eternal resurrected life with you when you make this whole world new when you make everything that hurts now everything that's a battle right now with sin 
Father, when you make that all new, when you make it all right, when you clear everything and set everything straight, thank you for Jesus Christ, Lord. Amen.